Welcome to Movie Heaven, Movie Hell with me, Simon Aiken, and... And I'm Keith Isles, and we are both independent filmmakers who enjoy discussing movies and related media. And for this series of special ep episodes celebrating 40 years of Star Wars, um, we're really pleased to welcome back to the podcast filmmaker Charles de Lozarica. So uh, welcome back, Charles. Uh, thanks for having me and for pronouncing my name better than last time. That's great. <laughs> oh, pra practice makes perfect, you know. Yeah. <laughs> How are you anyway? You well? Uh, I'm well. I'm just, uh, I'm, I'm loving that it's the holidays and can kind of slow down and enjoy life a bit. And uh, yeah, it's, and it's, and it's a good time because it's Star Wars season too. You know, we have a new movie coming out. So I'm very excited about that. It, absolutely absolutely and that's that's why we thought we'd do these um these episodes to talk about star wars because because first of all it's hard to believe it's been 40 years which is uh which is quite scary in itself but um also you know we seem to be in this new wave of star wars uh if it ever went away at all and so much has been said about star wars and so many there's so many podcasts out there about it and conversations that we thought for this one, um, we'll kind of make it about what Star Wars means to us and we'll sort of focus on the original trilogy and sort of where we were and what that meant for us. So um, uh, as you're the guest, Charles, would you like to start on that one? Uh, sure. I mean, I guess I'll just start at the beginning, which was my first memory of Star Wars. Um, which is very vague because I, I, I just kind of feel like I, I just showed up at the theater opening weekend at the Man Chinese in Hollywood with my dad. Um, I don't really remember much of Star Wars before then. It was just sort of a, like everyone was just sort of like being summoned uh, almost like on a cosmic level. It was almost like actually like more like Close Encounters where you just had like this thing that was drawing you to, the, to this one site to see this one miraculous thing. And I do remember um, being in the courtyard of the Chinese theater where they had the posters and the lobby cards on display and they had lobby cards from the film. And this would be like sort of a major spoiler today. But back then, one of the lobby cards was Han and Luke in the throne room, uh, the, the rebel throne room at the end of the film with Chewie behind them. And I thought and, and, and not knowing anything about the story. And I was I was what I was like seven years old or whatever. Or no, I was, I was nine years old. Um, not knowing the story, I thought, oh, those two guys must have been captured by this giant space ape, and, uh, and, he's, and he's taking them to his leader. And it's like, that was like my imagined story, because I, I, didn't, <laughs> I didn't think of the end of the movie, you know, where they're being rewarded for, you know, defeating the Empire. So that was my first memory of, of, of Star Wars. And then, of course, going into the theater, and then just like the electricity in the air, I think everyone knew it was just weird it was like this weird kind of like like kind of almost spiritual cosmic religious thing happening where people were like this is special we don't know why but it is and then when that you know the opening fox fanfare hit and then the lucasfilm logo hit and then a long time ago in a galaxy far far away it was almost like this anticipation building and then boom the logo explodes on the screen and then boom the star destroyer flies overhead it was just like it was just like we were being um destroyed and rebuilt as like new new beings it was like this very strange experience i just felt like i was reborn on, on that day and um and i've been a star wars nerd ever since it's it is uh it, i mean i hate to keep going back to the, the like it being a religion but it kind of is i mean i really do 
feel like I embrace it on a very deep level that I haven't embraced many other forms of, of pop culture. Well, yeah. over here in Britain, Jedi is official religion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so it should be. Yeah. So it should be. I mean, I mean, without wanting to sound too dramatic when I say this, but, um, you, you know, for, for me, um, Star Wars has literally, informed it has made me the person who I am now because for me it was literally the beginning of everything um you, you know I'm always going on about um you know age and how I wish I was younger and all all this sort of crap but all joking aside um I'm actually really pleased that uh I grew up in in this sort of Star Wars generation because like my, my dad, he sort of grew up with uh, westerns and war films, and uh, I guess the new generation—it's kind of Harry Potter and um, you know Fantastic Beasts and stuff like that. But um, you know, you know, Star Wars for me was literally the beginning of everything because it, it was the the first film I ever saw at the cinema. Um, I don't remember exactly when it was. I was very young. I know that it had already had. Lucas's first ever change made to it, which it meant it was it was episode four, A New Hope, at the point where I saw it. And I remember that, you know, my mum took me. Um, Star Wars and Superman were the, the films that mum took me to see, and dad took me to see Star Trek, the motion picture, and Flash Gordon. Uh, obviously, the latter two uh, coming out as a direct follow-up to the cinematic success of, of Star Wars. But um, it was also the first time I'd seen anything about the making of movies. Um, they had on television around that same time the making of Star Wars, and that kind of generated my interest in films. But also just all the things you do as a kid. The first ever comics I had were Star Wars comics, were Star Wars Weekly, long before I had any um, DC or Marvel comics, uh, you know, any superhero ones. The first novel I ever read was Splinter of the Mind's Eye, which was an Alan Dean Foster novel that came out as a follow-up to Star Wars uh, before Empire Strikes Back came out. Um, The first toys I ever had, uh, first figurines, were definitely Star Wars action figures. Uh, Prior to that, I think I might have had an action man, which you guys called G.I. Joe out there. I had one of them, and I know I had a sort of $6 million man Dull, but I can't remember whether that was before or at the same time or after. But definitely the action, the, the sort of four inch action figures and spaceships came out of that before it was just toy cars. Um, my first gun, uh, again, I think I'd had a, a cowboy gun, but um, my first gun was like a, uh, a Han Solo blaster and I got a lightsaber when they came out. Um, it was the first time I became interested in radio dramas, which is something that I'm now really into, but the Star Wars radio drama was a big part of my life. And, um, you you know, as I grew up and went through Star Wars and started to, you know, move from youth, um, my first crush was probably Princess Leia in Return of the Jedi for obvious reasons, right? (laughs) So it was the beginning of everything, literally. (laughs) Well, what about you, Simon? Well, being the the youngest <laughs> of us three, I was um, I was literally one when it came out the first time. Oh wow! But it was the first film I saw at the cinema. Um, 
uh, I I believe I was you know I was why I wanted to see and I must have seen it on the second run because I remember I kind of vaguely remember seeing it in the summer and um, yeah like you like we both um, Star Wars has always been a massive part of my life um, like you Keith first toys I had were Star Wars I had the uh, the figures I had the the dolls. Yeah, I remember having quite a big um, R2-D2 that I would actually f- could fit the figures into and make into another ship. Uh, I had the cardboard Death Star, which had the um, garbage um, garbage bit with... Uh, and you, It was just like a bit of cardboard that you moved left and right. <laughs> uh, and, you know, I think like most of us, I think... Um, we played with the toys so much that um, you know they got lost or destroyed or and uh, yeah so I you know it was it was the first film I saw and I, I remember it more being on TV I remember it being one I remember being one of the first films I wanted to see so much on TV I remember where the ad breaks were as well <laughs> when it was shown on ITV yeah yeah and uh, you know it was there from for most of my life I mean I think about when I was about eight or nine after Returning Jedi had you know long been gone um, there was a kind of a break you know other things came along there was like Transformers and um, other kinds of toys that came along that sort of took the place of Star Wars but then with the um jump a few years later when you had the special editions coming out i got back into star wars in a massive way and um what started that off for me was reading uh heir to the empire which is the um it was one of the f- first officially uh licensed uh books uh since uh splinter of the mind's eye and reading that getting into it and then i got into you know, collecting the figures again. We had the Power of the Force figures, which had a very buff Luke Skywalker. He looking more <laughs> like he did on the poster than the actual uh, figure itself. And uh, I just remember from 97 to about 2000, Phantom Menace did kind of kill it off for me. I was a massive collector. I would go around trying to collect, you know, all the figures, all the the toys, the vehicles, uh, comics, all the Dark Horse comics like Dark Empire and all the all the there was loads of different ones. Asian had the classic Star Wars, which were stories that were reprinted from the Marvel run. And oh, right, yeah. yeah, I had a I had a massive Star Wars collection, which uh, uh, in the end I had to sell only a few years ago to get myself through being unemployed. But uh, yeah, I was you know. A big, I still am a big fan. I mean, I enjoy these um, these new films coming out of Disney, and uh, you know, I think it's it's always going to be there. I mean, even if maybe the quality starts to drop, I mean, I still, you know, it'll still be part of my life. Charles, do you do you think we were lucky to sort of grow up in the Star Wars generation, if you like, with the, with that original trilogy of films? Uh, yeah, I think it was a very um, magical time, and, and especially for kids, uh, it I think it fueled 
our imaginations to um, express ourselves, you know, not just buy toys and obsess over, you know, Jawas and droids. It was, it was like, what now, what can we do? I, I think that was what was very inspirational about the making of star Wars documentary that was on um, t- television that I remember seeing like the very first images of, you know, TIE fighters, TIE fighter miniatures being blown up against blue screens. And when I was a kid, I'm like, wow, that looks so cool. What is it? I don't even know what I'm looking at. So I want to, I want to learn more about it. And, and just that notion of like a kind of a, a master wizard revealing his tricks for you. You're like, well, I want to try those tricks, you know? And I, and, and that's what was so great about star Wars for me was not just that it was massively rousing entertainment and not that it was like this kind of geeky, um, phenomenon that we could all like buy into, but also that it inspired you to do your own thing. And I, and I really appreciated that. And I, and I think when I look back on my, you know, relationship with star Wars, the, the parts that I, I don't want to say I regret, but the parts that I wish that I hadn't been so obsessed with were, were kind of like the, you know, the toys and the, and the, the, the fan ish side of it. And, and I wish I was more focused on being inspired to, you know, use those lessons of filmmaking and, and do more of my own thing, which, you know, I've slowly been doing, but I, I, I kind of wish I had, I hadn't divided my time between being a fan and an aspiring filmmaker. I wish I just went straight to aspiring filmmaker, but I think that's part of the, the blessing and the curse of star Wars is that it's, um, it's a thing that it, it, it takes over you as you think you are taking over it. And I, and I, and I feel like it's a, it is a very kind of complicated or increasingly complicated uh, emotional and psychological um, relationship that I have with Star Wars, but that now I think I, I, I feel, you know, fingers crossed, I have it under control. But that went, <laughs> I went through many, many years, uh, even decades, I guess, being just obsessed with it, you know, on, on a fanatical level, and and therefore I think I, I feel like I have a lot of knowledge about, you know, the movies and some of the ex- expanded universe stuff, um, and I and I have a lot of love for it, but I also feel like I also learned a lot of filmmaking techniques and, and, and skills, uh, from star Wars that then dovetailed into other movies and other experiences. So, um, you know, I don't, it's not a love, hate. it's a, it's a, it's a love like, I think, you know, <laughs> situation. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes sense. I mean, I remember when I was at school, um, and this must've been after the whole trilogy had, had, had aired. Um, but there, there used to be a documentary on the BBC called horizon. And um, there was one particular uh, episode called How to Film the Impossible. And what it covered was it covered the uh, special effects aspects of um, not, not just Star Wars, but it, but it also covered things like E.T. and Close Encounters, uh, Third Kind, etc. But it, um, it showed uh, all of those, you know, wonderful craftspeople at work um, you know, at ILM, and it showed you, you, you know, how they would do composite shots and how they'd work with miniatures and how they'd use motion control and how they, they'd use matte paintings and all of that sort of thing. And I remember just being, we, we had a VHS uh, machine here at the time, so I actually recorded or got down to record the episode, and I remember, um, you know, watching that so many times and just being really excited excited to think that grown-ups would actually tell these stories and make these films using models you know which were like effectively like toys 
toys, yeah, but we actually film them to tell these stories and, and create these worlds. And I remember just feeling so inspired by that. And, and I felt like it made it okay for me not to want to let go of my toys as I started to get older, <laughs> if that makes sense. <laughs> um, but I mean, I, ne I never, obviously, yeah, I never pursued uh, visual effects in any way, um, shape or form. It just became a, a, an interest of mine, which obviously most of that has gone digital now anyway. Um, but, uh, um, you, you know, it, it certainly, it was certainly was one of, and there were other films and stuff that inspired me but it was certainly one of of, of of many films that inspired me to want to become a filmmaker and become interested in filmmaking and telling stories and creating things for for, for absolute sure well uh according to my family we have a, a relative who actually worked on the uh the models of uh star wars back in the 70s uh but uh for the life of me, I can't remember who he was or um, if they sort of mentioned his name. But uh, there is a the idea that um, one of my family members did work on it, which uh, is like that's for me is amazing. Yeah, you want to be following up that one? <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those stories where it's kind of like it's kind of vague, so. Um, it may be true, it may not. I, I prefer to think it's true and just leave it at that. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. So, so Charles, um, what are your thoughts then? I mean, see, you, you've said, and you've said it very well about how you've got this sort of almost like love-hate <laughs> relationship with Star Wars over the years, except, um, I mean, how, how are your feelings when... Uh, you know, as we sort of approached the late 90s when Star Wars started to become pop, more popular again and, and they started uh, releasing, you know, re-releasing the special editions and things of that nature. What what were your thoughts on, on that side of it? Well, I mean, uh, it, it was interesting because I remember when I went to, uh, I actually went to a charity benefit premiere of Return of the Jedi uh, a few days before it actually opened. So I was you know, in full bloom as a Star Wars nerd. And I was sitting there at the end and I was, and I became incredibly sad because I realized that was it. That was the end. Like this thing that I was so madly in love with was over um, because it became clear that, you know, Lucas didn't really want to continue at that point. And, um, you know, all the articles said, this is it, this is the final chapter. And, you know, even though it wasn't, it still felt like it. And it was, you know, for many, many years, obviously. But, um, but like the, the rest of the eighties, uh, well, and, and there actually was a little glimmer of hope in 1985 when the first Power of the Force line of figures came out and toys, which built upon the original Kenner figures. These aren't the muscle-bound ones from the, the 90s. These are like, there was, there was a series called Power of the Force before the next Power of the Force line. Mm -hmm. but, that, but then it was like the Dark Ages. Then it was like nothing was really going on. And, uh, and I kind of let go, you know, and I kind of I started thinking, well, all right, I'll move on with my life, even though I still love it. Um, and then, you know, you had the little hints with Heir to the Empire and things like that. But um, when it was like 1996-ish, I think, when they announced Shadows of the Empire, right? It was the, um, the multimedia, it was the game, it was the book, it was the soundtrack, it was the comics, it was the toys. It was like the first sort of, at the time, sort of in-canon 
um, new chapter for Star Wars, which took place between Empire and Jedi. And that's, that felt like, oh, we're going to, you know, we might be getting back into the, the game a bit as in the, for, for us fans to like, you know, and enjoy Star Wars again. But, you know, that was kind of like a mixed bag. Uh, I, I thought the game was a lot of fun. The N64 game I really enjoyed and I played quite a bit. The, uh, the book and the story and all that, it, it was, you know, it was okay. It was just, it just felt like another sort of like in-betweener story that wasn't like massively important to the overall saga or the, you know, what we knew then as the saga. Um, so, but, you know, there was always the hint over over the years that, you know, maybe the prequels are coming, maybe they're going to start working and there are always a lot of rumors. And um, I don't know, it's like when, when I saw the very first, when I, it was Time Magazine, I remember they, they had a very tiny like picture of the very first production art from Phantom Menace. And it was of the, uh, it was like this on Coruscant and it was of like this sort of transport shuttle um, on a landing platform. That's all it was, but it felt like, oh, now it's going to be real. There really are going to be more Star Wars movies. So at that point, my love uh, sort of, you know, renewed and my interest re-energized and, and suddenly I was back in. So much so that when they when they had the very first, I don't think it was called Force Friday back then, but the very first, you know, when the toys went on sale for Phantom Menace, I was out there with all the other maniacs in line, you know, uh, loading up on Darth Maul this and, you know, Battle Droid that. And, uh, and you think, oh, it's going to be great. It's going to be just like it was before. And, uh, and, and just to show you how nuts I was about the Star Wars movies coming back. I was living at the time in, in 1999, I was living in Hollywood. I had an apartment within walking distance of the Chinese theater. And about a month before the movie was going to open, uh, a line formed. And um, it was these guys that were just like camping out for a month ahead of time, but they were doing it in the name of some charity. And I went down there to check it out and I signed up for the line. Now, the thing is, um, I wasn't going to spend a month in line. There's no way in hell I was going to do that <laughs> for any movie. Um, but I um, I signed up and, and they, let, they would let you kind of like, log in and log out so you could amass hours in line um and i and i have to admit I, I cheated a bit here and there just because i live so close i could go home and take a shower and not just you know be stinking up the sidewalk like so many other people were doing um but uh it was just this amazing was, we, I, I think i called it force stock like it was like woodstock but it was force stock it was like it was just <laughs> crazy it looked like you know they were they were basically like hippies out in the mud except it was for star wars so um, it was fun, you know, and I remember opening night, we all went in and I, and I had got great seats for the very first midnight show and I was pumped and we we're all like, you know, there's tons of people with lightsabers in the audience. And it was just, it was like a, a rock concert and you could almost tell immediately like the, 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 air was being slowly let out of the balloon. And when Jar Jar has a terrible line, uh, as he's kind of following Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan through the woods of Naboo, he kind of says, excuse me. And um, you could just, actually a lady about five rows behind me actually said, oh my God. And then that just was like poison. Eyes and face palming and they're like, oh no, what happened? And then it was like, you know, two more movies of, of the same thing after that. It was just like, oh, what a, you know, we came all this way. We took the pilgrimage, we came back and, and we, we were, you know, rewarded with the prequels. So, you know. It, that was a big wake-up call. In fact, I, I walked out of the theater, and, and, and a reporter from the LA Times was out in the street, and she asked me, you know, what'd you think? And I said, well, I want to thank George Lucas for inspiring me to become a filmmaker, and now I want to thank him again for waking me up and snapping me out of Star Wars, you know, because I was sort of like, 
I'm done. You know, it's like no way I could follow with this. And, and yet, of course, I did because it's, it's also an addiction and you can't let it go yeah. that easily. But um, yeah, it's been it's definitely been a roller coaster, you know, of ups and downs with Star Wars. But um, I think now it's it's a bit more I feel a bit more grounded in my love of it. Like I can I can kind of keep it at, at a certain distance. I can still enjoy it, but it doesn't you know control my life. Well, I found personally as a collector, there was just too much stuff. And every year there's more and more stuff flooding the uh, the market. So, you know, there's all these different books and there's all these different figures you can collect and different variations of the same figure. And uh, it just got, it just got, you know, it absolutely just got like, well, I'm just going to spend all my money on this stuff and I'll never have like a, a full collection. I think um, out of all the things that I did uh, keep after selling all my stuff was actually a book of like uh, Star Wars collectibles up to about 98. So you had all the original stuff and it had everything in there. It had all the figures. It had all the, uh, you know, uh, like pillowcases, bed covers, you know, everything that was ever made of Star Wars from the 70s to the late 90s. And for me, I kept that book because it's just like, yeah, you know, like I can now look back at what I used to used to collect and stuff and uh, enjoy it from afar without having to go through all the pain of, you know, not only paying that money to get this stuff, but actually the, the, the search for this stuff. Because back in the 90s, it was really difficult to to get this stuff we didn't have ebay so you you actually had to you know hit the pavement go to shops hunt around and you know try and find this stuff and some of the stuff had to be imported as well from the states so yeah it was um i i enjoyed all that i enjoyed the sort of the hunt for all this stuff but uh i mean i, I look I, back at it yeah i enjoyed the hunt quite a bit actually mm. i mean i would I would go to uh, when I was like, well, I started collecting, like seriously collecting. I mean, collecting, like keeping things mint in the box, mm. collecting. Yeah. Uh, from like, I don't know, age 11 or 12. I mean, from early on, I recognized like I want to keep this stuff mint. And uh, and I and I would go to swap meets, flea markets and all these like, you know, back channel ways of trying to find things. And back then, like you could go like in 1981 or 82, you could go to some store out in the middle of nowhere and they would still have original 1977 Star Wars, 78 Star Wars toys out, you know, that you could still get mint. So you could actually find those things. And, and a funny aside, in 1985 or 86, actually, I was in I was in London and I went to Elstree Studios to try to talk my way into a, a tour or something. Uh, <laughs> And I kind of got close, actually. I got a, I got a very nice letter from Robert Watts at Lucasfilm, and then he, he wrote me a nice letter. And they gave me a couple Temple of Doom T-shirts. It was it was nice. But um, I um, there was a toy store near Elstree that I just happened to wander into to kill time, and they had a whole wall of carded Yak Face and Anakin Skywalker figures that are you know now are worth like tons of money, and they were going, they were like trying to sell. They were on sale, like they were trying to get rid of. Them. And of course, if I could go back in time and tell my 18-year-old self, throw away all your clothes, take <laughs> your suitcases, and load your suitcases up with these things, you'd be rich, you know? <laughs> I had exactly the same thing. I know the toy shop you're talking about. It was there up to about uh, 99, funnily enough. It sort of closed just before um, Phantom Menace came out. But um, 
Yeah, there was there was actually a lot of shops in the local area that had a lot of Star Wars stuff up to the mid nineties, and it was only the fact that I didn't have much money as a kid I couldn't buy them. But I mean, we're talking Millennium Falcons in the box, Atats, you know, all these sort of big collectible toys, and they were just there on the shelf gathering dust. Nobody wanted them, and and of course, when when suddenly. Um, the collecting boom kicked off. Uh, of course, those shops are gone, or that, uh, or they had uh, got rid of their stock. So it's yeah, yeah. It was. It's funny to think there was a that phase in between the the end of Return of the Jedi and up towards near um, the uh, special editions, where there was all these Star Wars toys in shops just gathering dust, and nobody wanted them. And now, of course, they're worth. They're worth a lot of money. Well, I, I got to, yeah. I, got to, I got to a point where I was I was trying to like have the world's biggest collection. I mean, no joke. I mean, my room when I was you know like 13, 14, 15 was it was basically a Star Wars shop. I mean, it was just loaded with mint stuff. And then um, having like I was mentioning earlier, we're going to like swap meets and things. I met this guy named Steve Sansweet, who was you know digging through people's you know bins and things looking for Star Wars stuff. And, um, you know, as we know now, he, you know, he became like a huge, huge force in Star Wars collecting and, uh, and a big super fan. And he was, and he worked for Lucasfilm and now he's got Rancho Obi-Wan, which is, which I think is unquestionably the world's biggest Star Wars collection. But back then he was living in LA in Silver Lake and he actually had me come over to his place and he had, and he had added a second story to his house for all of his Star Wars stuff. And I remember getting there and, and I, I, Immediately when I saw it, I like this instant migraine hit hit me, and I almost started tearing up because I realized I had no hope at all of ever catching up to this guy. Like, I, I there's no way in hell I could have, have a collection that matched his, and this was back like in 1982 or something or 83. So, um, but but it was, he was very nice. He always would give me something from the collection whenever I visited. Like, I remember one time he gave me a Japanese Y wing, a little Y wing. I can't remember if it was like a a candy or a little tiny rubber figure or an eraser or something you couldn't tell because it was all in, mm. all in japanese but it was always nice it would give you a little trinket from the collection when you go over so um but that's when i realized yeah i'm gonna move on from collecting star wars because there's no way i'm gonna catch up to him <laughs> yeah well it becomes almost overwhelming doesn't it after yeah. a while i mean um you, you know i used to obviously play with the figures and whatever when i was a kid and um you know, I always used, now I sort of feel sorry for my mum and dad, bless them, because, uh, uh, you know, all this stuff was was quite expensive. And I know they didn't didn't have a lot of money at the time. And of course, I lived up the road from the kid that had everything. So there was a kid up the road that had all of the vehicles and all of the play sets and like multiple stormtroopers and, you know, all of this stuff. Whereas I just kind of had one of each uh, character that came out and used to keep them in absolutely pristine condition i mean i didn't keep them in the box i played with them but um you, you know i used to try and look after them and they're probably in my um in my parents attic somewhere <laughs> in a box uh, to this day so uh, i quite like your idea simon about buying the book of the collectibles so that you've almost like got a photograph of what you used to have to look back on that's uh, that's probably a better way of um the way of doing it <laughs> yeah yeah so, i mean because yeah as you say there's there is no way to ever get everything 
you because there's always more there's always more stuff and there's always you know different countries have different things as well and uh yeah you could uh just drive yourself to uh to ruin sort of chasing this stuff i actually saw uh a tv show over here um can't remember the name of it but they go in and they like clear out people's stuff to make room and uh they did a star wars edition where this guy his whole house was full of star wars stuff you know pristine in the box and he had like you know he had had three or four of the same thing and it just was cluttering the whole house i mean he had wife and kids as well <laughs> and in the end they took all this stuff to a warehouse and they well they didn't fill it but they took up a lot of space with um with what he had and they literally downsized him to um a, a display room up in his attic they did a really nice job and it literally was it it kind of stopped at the staircase to his attic it couldn't go any further because uh, his family had had enough they were uh, sick and tired of just being surrounded by all the stuff that's understandable that is understandable but um charles you you mentioned the uh, the whole sort of shadows of the empire um thing that they tried to kick off and, and i remember that very well as well i mean i remember there was even joel mcneely had recorded a soundtrack uh to it when it wasn't even a film you know which, which was quite uh, amazing but i remember i um i sort of bought into all that because i sort of thought well, this is because it's set between movies that's kind of a really interesting time in the in in the sort of star wars saga there and whatever but what what it, what it struck me as is is whereas because Obviously, it was a, a gap filler between two films. They they couldn't really do anything too drastic with the characters, and and any sort of new characters that they introduced, you pretty much knew weren't going to be around for very long because they weren't in Return of the Jedi or whatever. So um, it did seem like it seemed like a really good idea that didn't quite work to me. I don't know. Did you feel that way about it, you guys? Yeah, I mean, I, I like I said before, I, I enjoyed parts of it. Like, I really enjoyed the game. Uh, the soundtrack I thought was actually really good. Um, it was just kind of like the story and characters was, was were just kind of a little, like, not to my taste, I guess, uh, to put it politely. I just I kind of thought the Prince Shizor, or whatever his name was, hmm. thing was, was kind of a little Star Trek-y for me. Um, it was a little... It didn't have the grit and the kind of, uh, you know, used world vibe that star wars had it felt it became it started becoming a little bit more i don't know regal and 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 kind of costumey it just became less about like a space western and and more of like just cosplay you know with these characters i mean he was he was kind of like not my favorite designed character i have to say um and the whole notion of him being kind of like a, a seducer and having these pheromones that would you know blah 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 i just i just i'm like that's not, that's not star wars to me and i just i just want to stick with like the characters i do like and uh um but you know but again it's like even even though dash rendar was kind of like a han solo surrogate character for the game and for the book and everything i you know i was fine i was i was okay with it because the gameplay was 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 a lot of fun you know and um it was just, uh, I, I kind of feel like, well, if there was a compelling story to tell between Empire and Jedi, they would have made a movie out of it, you know? And I, and I kind of feel like the gap between Empire and Jedi was needed. Yeah, no. Basically, it was just about, you know, rendezvousing on Tatooine and finally rescuing Han. Like, that's kind of 
what all that had to happen because they knew where Han was. They, you didn't have to do this whole side story of other planets and other things and all that. So anyway, long story short, I, it, was, it was fine. I just didn't really buy into it that heavily. Oh, and by the way, the, the other thing I want to mention, though, is like in the book, I remember this was a big turnoff for me, was there was a foreword by George Lucas. And at the time, you know, we were all under the belief there were going to be nine episodes total, right, in this, in this Skywalker saga. Hmm. And, and in, this, in, in the opening foreword, uh, George Lucas said that uh, you know, he was basically explaining what Shadows of the Empire was and how it fit. And he said, so this will be a part of, or this will be an in-between story of the complete six film saga. And I was like, six, six films. What are you talking about? There's nine, you know? So I, I felt like he was already kind of hedging and, and backing out of trying to, you know, complete the full saga back then. Mm, yeah. I mean, I, I really enjoyed the game and uh, yeah, it did feel like everything that was surrounding it uh, was just a, a way of promoting the game. It, it was, it was a sort of multimedia event that, uh, you know, worked well for the game, just to push the game forward. So, you know, I had it on N64, and it's one of the things I kept uh, pristine in the box and, uh, you know, actually sold for quite a bit of money. It was, uh, it was quite gratifying to know that uh, this sort of old game uh, people were still interested in and, uh, you know, was able to sort of uh, to sell. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it was... The game was great for the fact that you got to do the uh, Battle of Hoth and you got to jump into a snowspeeder and actually, you know, for the first time feel like you were there and, you know, doing the uh, the rope trick around the the Atats, around its legs and stuff. And so for that, I, I really enjoyed the game. Uh, you know, there were some parts of it which I wasn't a fan of. I mean, the... Um, kind of like uh, the swoop bikes section when you were going through Tatooine was uh, I remember that not being that much fun I think it was really difficult and you had to get through it but the the rest of the game I, I really enjoyed yeah I, and I like that uh, if I'm rem- remembering correctly there was like a, a trash planet is that right and there was a train that you had to like ride for a while that's right yeah yeah, uh, and it actually, it actually turned IG88 into a dangerous character. Like I remember him being—he was like the, the super boss on the other level or whatever—and mm-hmm. uh, you know, going from being just basically a a lamp in the corner on the on the Star Destroyer and Empire, he just kind of—he's you know, just standing there doing nothing, and then suddenly he's like this badass who's lobbing grenades at you and things. It was—it was nice to see them turn him into a a real character and not just a prop. That's it, and I mean, also it's sort of. Um, it was it was nice it was sort of i f- no no there was uh, try, what i'm trying to say is because we had all the super star wars games leading up to that on the n64 we had like super star wars and super empire strikes back and then super return of the jedi these the platform games it was nice then to get a um a, a you know a first person shooter that was like a, a big step up from dark forces yeah, yeah. No, there was, I, 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 I think I played all the, the kind of console games up until, I don't know, I can't remember which, where I bowed out, but I think that, uh, I think Bounty Hunter was maybe the last game I, I really played all the way through uh, that was a Star Wars game, because that was, that was actually a pretty fun mm. game as well, and that was, that was a game that proved you could take a Boba Fett character, even though it was Django Fett in that game, you could take 
effect and and make him a, a compelling protagonist, which I know a lot of people are wondering if there'll be a Boba Fett movie, how do you make him a, compel- a compelling uh, protagonist? And I thought that game actually did a pretty good job. But I think that was also the last Star Wars game I really, you know, stuck with. Um, not not because I didn't like what came after, I just moved on from games for the most part. Mm. But, God, I think the last one I played was, I think it... Um... Well, it certainly wasn't these Battlefront games, that's for sure. Um, yeah. It's probably um, trying to think what the name of them was, but there, that was you had like this uh, dark apprentice of um, Darth Vader, who uh, who sort of turned against him, which they they do a lot in these games. Usually, you start off as a bad guy and then become a good guy. Oh, I can't remember what that that game's called now. Mm. Must have been great. Mm. Fair enough. <laughs> and and, and uh, I I don't know about you guys, but there was always something. I get again when you're a kid. I guess um, time seems to go slower or whatever than it does once you're an adult. But um, you, you know, there was always this uh, massive um, anticipation between the films and. You know, the fact that we had to wait three years, um, you, you, you know, to get the next installment. Obviously, nowadays we're spoiled and we get we get one every year. But, um, uh, you, you know, I still, you know, even though I was into other things as well, um, I still remember I, I did I did get the Star Wars comics for quite some time um, in between those films, particularly the in between uh, um New Hope and Empire Strikes Back, and uh, you, you know, but did, were you guys the same? Could you like not wait until the next film and and sort of wanted to find your your Star Wars fix somewhere, whether it was playing with the toys or or reading the comics or, or what? Did did you have that same sort of urge for that? I mean, certainly. I remember um, after Empire opened, and you know, I saw it, and of course, it ends on such a you know powerful cliffhanger. Um, I remember, I mean, I, I can't believe I'm admitting this, um, in public, but, um, I, I had in school, I had what was, we used to call peachy folders. They're like these kind of like little yellow folders. You keep your, your school papers in and things. And I actually made like a countdown calendar. I drew it by hand for every day. It was, I, I felt like I was like, like a prisoner in jail, marking my time until I was going to be released. <laughs> I, I, I would I would X, you know, I'd X a box for every. I, had, I drew out all the boxes and then I X them uh, each day until Jedi came out. I mean, that's that's how ridiculous I was uh, about waiting for the next film, you know. And and every single day I would just try to find something that you know keep me excited about it. And uh, and then you know the great thing is that. Lucasfilm was really, they were really great at the long form tease, you know, because uh, like in, in the trade papers in Variety and the Hollywood Reporter, they released these beautiful, gorgeous, lavish foldouts for Revenge of the Jedi when they announced production was beginning. And I lost my mind because the logo was so different and it looked serious. It looked like, oh, this is something dangerous. It looked like this is like things are going to go dark, you know. And I had that thing on my wall like for, for years until the movie came out. And um, and and every once in a while they would come out with a new thing, you know, a piece of Ralph McQuarrie art or or something. And then there was they were shooting, you know, they shot Jedi 
in, in America uh, in terms of on, on the, the locations. They shot in Yuma, Arizona and Crescent City, California. And so not so much in Crescent City because of the forest for Endor, but in Yuma for all the Tatooine stuff, you know, they built the sandbars, like half of it out in Yuma. And you have people who are like vacationing out there. They're on like dune buggies and ATVs and they see like this giant, like, you know, spaceship, you know, spaceship, like a science fiction ship out in the middle of the desert. And they're like, what's that? So news started breaking. And even though there wasn't an internet, newspapers were picking it up. And, and even I think maybe some TV news picked up that, hey, they're shooting Star Wars movies here and you can go out and see them. So that was kind of fun, you know. Um, and I had a friend living in Crescent City for the Endor shoot. And and he would he managed to get a hold of call sheets, right, and, and, and Blue Harvest T-shirts and stuff. I mean, he was like, he was feeding me stuff, uh, you know, before Jedi opened. So I felt like I was kind of in the know in a very minor way, but it was still fun, you know, because back then, again, with no internet, you didn't have that sort of network. You had to, it was kind of like, you know, like a World War II kind of spy situation where you actually had to get stuff physically, you know, and it had to be snuck to you from the set and you couldn't just have it emailed to you. So um, it was, it was a very fun time um, to kind of be, be deprived of Star Wars, frankly, but being deprived of it was fun. Because you just, you, it just built up the expectation for when you actually got it. You know, it was almost like, it was like tantric sex, I guess you'd, you'd, you'd want to say, you know, it's like, you're just kind of waiting for the climax. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, my, uh, myself, um, um, when Return of the Jedi came out, I, uh, I was six, going to turn seven. So I, I was really quite young. I was still i don't think i knew what sort of anticipation was um the first time i heard about uh return of the jedi was um i saw a, a tv show called entertainment usa and right at the end they went oh there's a new star wars coming out and here's the trailer and you know i got to see you know these clips of what was going to come i was like oh wow you know seeing c3po at the gates and luke skywalker jumping onto the barge and um i i remember it was very much uh the images i remember from that trailer were very much of the stuff that happens on tatooine and i was like wow this looks amazing it's like luke skywalker scaling up a wall or something you know and um but i didn't um so it was from that point onwards and i think it was only like a maybe three or four months before the film actually came out where I was aware of its existence because I still, you know, because I still had Star Wars and Empire Strikes Back. I mean, um, certainly Star Wars was on the TV and I had a VHS copy and, um, I, you know, I'd seen both films many times and like Keith, I had the comic books. And so that was all keeping me kind of entertained so we'd have this new movie come along was great but then when return of the jedi came out and that was it then you, you did kind of feel this void you know it's like oh is that it there's not going to be anything else you know you go oh but then i think nothing else would have been better than what we got with the prequels <laughs> yes do you have an opinion on the prequels charles Oh, many. Uh, <laughs> I, don't think, I don't think we have time for that. Um, it, it's funny, though, because I, 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 I don't know. I've adopted a, a kinder uh, 
approach the prequels of late. Um, you know, when I when I saw them, I was I was you know I was furious. And I, I you know I felt betrayed by Star Wars. And I was just like getting ready to just, you know burn my Star Wars fan club card. Uh, but I just I was just it took a while to kind of realize, you know, it's a separate thing and there's a whole generation of kids that actually do like them and likes like those stories. And that's, I feel like, you know, I had my time with it. I had my trilogy that I grew up with. Why not let these kids have this trilogy if they really do enjoy it. Um, and, and frankly, you know, people love to, to, you know, rank the films, like which one is better than the other. And I, and I've, I've really come to kind of maybe a semi-controversial, opinion which is that i actually think phantom menace is the best of the three which i think a lot of people think i'm nuts to, to, to say that but i but here's my reasoning is i feel like the phantom menace of all of them is the only one that's sort of pure uncut george lucas it's like he had no feedback he was just doing what he wanted to do and and everyone around him was along for the ride because they felt like well he must know what he's doing you know he's the master and uh and and so he made the film that he wanted to make with absolutely no audience feedback and no backlash or nothing. And then attack of the clones to me is complete. Like it, it just feels like a, a course correction movie and it feels like it's just kind of pandering to fans like, Oh, you like Boba Fett. Here's Django Fett. And you like this, here's that. And it's darker and it's more quote unquote edgy and all that. And it just felt like it was just reacting to the, the backlash of Phantom Menace. And then Revenge of the Sith, to me, is the one that is actually, is, is, I don't think it's, I think Attack of the Clones is easily the worst of all the Star Wars films, but I think Revenge of the Sith is kind of the most painful because it had the juiciest story to tell. You know, it's like they kind of wasted a lot of time uh, with one and two, with all of like these other kind of side stories and things, which, you know, ultimately served that trilogy. But I don't think it's what we as fans maybe signed up for when we heard there was a new trilogy on the way. Revenge of the Sith had the juiciest story to tell because it, it, it had to basically tell so much story that had been ignored in one and two for the most part. It had to you know, tell so much story about the fall of Anakin Skywalker, the rise of Darth Vader, the, the, the clash between Obi-Wan and Anakin. And it, it had so much that it, that it kind of, I felt like it got, it felt like very abridged and it felt kind of uh, sketchy versus being a deeply um, engaging uh, kind of climax of that first trilogy. You know, I mean, because I think we all imagined as kids what the prequels, what the prequels in our in our heads uh, would be like. You know, because we had heard, you know, through various other sources, like some of the, like the novelization of Jedi mentioned the the lava uh, consuming Vader, consuming you know during when his duel with Obi Wan, and so that was sort of like okay, they are they're fighting against lava, and you start to imagine these things because you're a kid and Star Wars excites you. And then you actually see it. And it's this kind of really video gamey, cartoony, like let's you know swing across across chasms of lava and let's jump on these little droids and fight. And, yeah. and it just became it just became kind of like not that that really pure good versus evil battle that I think a lot of people were hoping for. It just felt like he was trying to throw eye candy at you and then get as quickly out of that plot as possible. Because I mean, like when Yoda fights Palpatine. And then, you know, it's a pretty knockdown, drag out fight, but Yoda escapes and then he immediately says, into exile, I must go. And I'm like, wait, get back up there. You can still fight. Get get back in there and still, you know, go back and fight him some more. And just like, it was such a pop out. Like everything was such an easy out in, in, the, in Revenge of the Sith, you know, and that kind of really was disappointing because I, I felt it had the most potential because it had so much story. It was going to be just, I felt like it was going to be jam packed with all the good stuff because one and two kind of ignored the good stuff. And then we got 
kind of like a partial uh, pass at it. And it felt like we missed an opportunity there. But, you know, that's that's me. I'm a bitter old Star Wars fan. So that's my <laughs> my take. You know. Yes. Yeah. Well, we've 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 we have plenty to say about it in our uh, next episode of uh, of the podcast where we uh, go into it. But uh, Charles, what was your initial? Um, um, what did you first feel about the special editions? Um, when I first heard about them, I thought the idea was sound. I thought it was a good idea to go in and you know recomposite visual effects elements and digitally clean it up. Um, and then, you know, we started hearing about, oh, they're going to shoot some new scenes. They're going to add some new this and that. And they're going to put in Java. And, you know, then I started to wonder, well, okay. I mean, I trust them. Let's see how it goes. And I got invited to a, a test screening at the Star Wars Special Edition. Um, I don't know. It was a few months before it opened. And it, so it wasn't quite finished yet. But, um it was basically a big promotional event because they wanted to get a bunch of fans there and then like videotape them reacting to the, the new cut and then interview us on the way out. And you could tell like the reaction was very divided. Um, people are excited to see star Wars again on the big screen, no doubt about it. But the changes I think ran the spectrum between, yeah, that's a good tweak to that was a completely unnecessary like error that you just, you introduced into this, you know, like the Java scene with, cutting and pasting Harrison Ford to walk over his tail was just like so ridiculous. And I, I'm, I'm sure maybe someone thought that was a good idea at some point because they did it and they did it again when they, they took another pass at it for the, the DVD or the Blu-ray or whatever. So it's just like, I, I just wish that they had taken a bit more of a, a restorationist approach and not a revisionist approach. Um, I felt like there was a lot of just tweaking and playing and kind of, goofing off with, with the material uh, just for, to do it, to make it different and to make a trailer that would get people to come out and see it again. Um, versus what, like, for instance, when I worked on Blade Runner for the final cut, you know, I went, I, I told everyone, I said, we're going to do the exact opposite of what they did with the Star Wars Special Editions, which is we're going to take a very fine tooth comb to this thing and we're going to be very delicate and everything we change, we're going to have a really good reason to do it and it's going to serve the story and the character. We're not going to do it just to do it. And, um, and I felt like we, we came out of the Blade Runner experience in good shape because we, we were so, mm-hmm. there, there's over a, a, like there's over a hundred picture changes in the final cut versus the previous versions. And I doubt most people will catch like all of them. I, I mean, I bet, I bet people catch maybe like 10 or 12 of the hundred changes we made. And, and that to me is a success because we didn't want people to spot it. We wanted to polish the film and fix mistakes not introduce a bunch of new things that'll take you out of the experience. Exactly, exactly. Mm. With Blade Runner, they did exactly that. They fixed things, uh, you know, continuity things and little mistakes and and, and just made, the, uh, made it all tighter and just work better without drawing attention to anything. Whereas with the special editions, you, you know, yes, they cleaned everything up, which was great, but... Um, you know, they, they, they felt the necessity to add all these these elements and um, and not only to add them for the special edition, but then to keep on adding and messing with it, you, you know, forever. I mean, you, you know, the most controversial being the, the Greedo shooting first thing, which um, I always thought was ridiculous. Uh, you know, I hated that and, and still do. But, uh, but then there are little things that they did that are barely noticeable that I thought was great. 
for example, the um, the, the power indicator on the tractor beam when when uh, when Obi Wan's trying to disable it. Obviously, in the original cut, it had power and whatever written in English, yeah, and tractor beam written in English and everything. Whereas they went in and they changed it to the sort of um, you know the hieroglyphs that the uh, the Aruba or whatever they called the Star Wars languages. And, uh, you, you know, you still understand exactly what it means, but it's one of those fixes that most people wouldn't even notice, which worked as opposed to a major change like Greedo shooting first, you know, uh, which is which was which was terrible. <laughs> so, uh, you, you know, it's that's the difference between restoring and, um, and and polishing something as opposed to actually trying to change the narrative of, of certain things. Um, which is what they seem to do in the, in with some of the special edition choices, um, and it, and it was funny because uh, again they, they there were some things that they didn't change, like initially with the Empire Strikes Back special edition, they didn't um, replace the Emperor hologram with Ian McDermott, and uh, to me that would have been an obvious change that would have made sense from a continuity point of view. I know they eventually did it when it went to DVD, but um, they didn't do it with the initial special edition. And that was one of those things that I was expecting them to change and they didn't. Instead, they gave us more Wampa, which I felt like we didn't really want. So <laughs> it was weird. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> well, I remember there was great uh, excitement amongst the Star Wars community. You know, we were going to get to see stuff put back in that had been cut out that we always wanted to see. Um we assumed that a lot of the um, Tatooine stuff with Luke and Biggs was going to be put back in. And, um, you know, and also we wanted to see the Jabba scene because we, we knew about it. And um, and so when it came out, it you know, I was I was quite I was very happy with of seeing it again on the big screen. Again, I went down to the um, Odeon, the Odeon uh, Leicester Square to see it. And uh, especially Star Wars, it was a great experience because it was like seeing it with an American audience. There was cheering and there was people laughing and, you know, making comments. And, you know, it was all great fun. But, of course, you know, once you get past that and you're looking at it, with, you know, uh, you're going, well, OK, some of this stuff is not needed. Um, the, the Jabba scene... Yeah, it definitely doesn't be needed because in because Greedo says exactly the same thing as Jabba does. So we're just getting a repeat of the same information which we don't need. We you know why would Jabba come down if he's already sent uh, a subordinate to come down and you know tell Han the same stuff? So you know it didn't make any sense apart from a bit of fan service. Say look, here's Jabba. Oh look, and there's Boba Fett. You know, there you go. He's in all three films now. Um, you know, there, we got a little bit extra bigs in the first one when they're um, on the on the base at Yavin, and you sort of see you see bigs a bit more uh, in those scenes, and I quite quite glad to see them. But it was a shame we didn't get much of the uh, Tatooine stuff at the beginning. Because we we'd seen that in the comic books and in the novelization, and you know it would have been cool to 
to have actually, you know, seen that put back into the film. Yeah, I mean, the the, the thing with that big scene, uh, Yavin, it did feel, because we didn't get the stuff at Tatooine at the beginning, that Yavin scene did, all, did to me feel a little redundant as a result of that, because, you know, it, 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 it didn't really have anything to pay off on if 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 you if you know what i mean but yeah. uh, i mean yes it was nice to have the addition i guess yeah. but um and just sort of to sort of say about the yeah did with empire uh with the whole sort of wampus stuff uh we wanted to see the actual uh wampus attacking the rebel base or the the whole thing with c3po taking the sign off and these the, the snow troopers going into that room that had been uh you know been sealed because of these wampers uh and of course now having seen that extra footage found out it's not that great so it was kind of a good thing they didn't put it back in but yes i agree the whole sort of extra wampa stuff in empire was a bit yeah yeah it's just, you know we, we 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 saw enough from the original for him to be such a threat that we didn't need to have all this extra you know stuff put in I mean, it doesn't really match. No, that's the other problem with it. It doesn't really match. Match. It's like, and uh, you know, uh, the the bit at the end of Empire with Darth Vader doing this whole "Get me my (laughs) shuttle," you know, and then you see him boarding the shuttle and the shuttle flying up. It's like, yeah, okay, we 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 get that. Um, uh, I I was funny because when I went to see Return the Jedi, I think. It was this weird thing where there was a lot of anticipation for Star Wars and then not many people... I think people came out for Empire, but when Return of the Jedi came out, it, it was it was like... It, it went very quickly. It didn't hang around so much as the other films did in the cinema. I mean, I actually had to catch it at a, like a multiplex on a Saturday morning. You know, that was how much out the door it was. And I got to see it. And um, again, I enjoyed it. Uh, Return of the Jedi was the film I can remember seeing the first time at the cinema. And um, But yeah, the, some of the changes in it. I mean, like the music, the uh, the song in Jabba's Palace. <laughs> it's like, Don't get me started. Yeah, 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 we didn't really need that. Um, yeah. And then, of course... The the subs the, the the additions they've made since just keep making it worse. I mean the whole no at the end of Jedi and um the whole thing with like hiding R two D two behind a bigger rock. Again, stupid. Yeah, yeah. 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 Just um, change for his change sake. Yeah. What about you, Charles? What do you think about uh, the you mentioned a little bit about New Hope, but what do you, what did you think of the Empire and in uh, Jedi changes? Um, well, for me, Empire's changes were the most painful because Empire was already a perfect movie, you know. And I think anything you do uh, hurts the film. Um, I don't like, for instance, when I was a kid, I never uh, sat there scratching my head thinking, "Gee, how did Darth Vader get the shuttle and then get <laughs> the executor before the Falcon did?" I never ever thought that because the movie is moving at such a fast clip, not just in terms of pace but also emotion. 
Mm. that um, I don't need to see the logistics of, you know, the shuttle and all that. And I feel like that's actually something that cursed the prequels uh, a bit was tons of takeoffs and landings. Like there are so many takeoffs and landings. And I, and I, and I kind of started to formulate a, a theory, which I'm not going to share completely with you right now, but I'll just say that I think the Star Wars films, the, the, the original six that, that George Lucas produced, um, are autobiographical. I mean, I think Star Wars is certainly, uh, you know, about a young kid, you know, growing up in Modesto and he, and he wants to kind of like take on the Hollywood establishment and he gets into a car crash and it changes his life. And then he, you know, goes off and tries to find a a new way forward. He's like our our new hope. Um, and that you can actually look at Empire and Jedi and kind of break it down in similar ways that reflect his life. Right. Um, the prequels, I started thinking, what was George Lucas's life like leading up to the prequels? And I feel like by that point, he was running a multi-billion dollar company. He was a multi-billionaire. And between the original trilogy and the prequels, I'm sure Lucasfilm, you know, they did obviously with like Industrial Light Magic and Skywalker Sound, they did a lot of great work on other movies. But when it came to Star Wars, it was basically licensing, right? It was basically just toys and shirts and books and music and whatever. So that's what kept the money coming in. And I imagine George's, you know, responsibilities for the most part, and this is a sweeping generalization that, that I'm pulling out of my ass. I can't claim to say that this is really what happened, but I was, I was imagining that his day would be driving to the ranch, getting out of his car, going in for a meeting, taking meetings all day, getting in his car and driving home. And I thought that's why the prequels are filled with takeoff <laughs> and meetings, you know, and I think that's, that, that reflects his life, you know, in the, in the prequel era. Yeah, no, I see what you mean there. Yeah, um, that's a good I mean, theory. I, I mean, for, for for me, I agree with you, Charles. Empire didn't need any changing because it was perfect anyway. And um, like you said, one line, get my ship, is all you need. You don't need mm. all the rest of it. Um, so I, I didn't really think, and, and, and again, they've removed it again since, but Luke, they, they, when he, when he, when he um, has the confrontation with Darth Vader and goes down the Bespin react Jaff thing. They, they put in him going, ah, and I was like, oh no, why did they do that? It made it, made it look like he slipped and fell or something, yeah. you know, <laughs> but then I noticed in the DVD editions, they took that out again. So, mm. um, so he realized the error of his ways there. Um, but yeah, Jedi, um, I, you know, I, I hate most of the changes in that. I hate the fact that they turn like the Salek into the, creature from the little shop of horrors or whatever that 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 to me made no sense it made much more sense to be this dormant creature that lies there and just digests slowly you know as opposed to having to see it come out of the uh, pit as it were um so i i didn't like that the jedi rocks thing in the palace and um boba fett being a playboy and all that stuff i, I again that just makes me want to puke um and apart from the ewoks blinking i don't understand why they have to sort of change the song at the end at all because i thought you know what they've done previously was fine so um you, you know that that to me seemed a bit sort of uh um redundant it almost felt like they were making changes because they felt like they had to rather than whether they actually needed to but um well, I, yeah. I, 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 I really quickly, I just while we're on the music thing, I, I just think there was a bit of a, a negative opinion of the original uh, Yub Nub Ewok song uh, in the original versions. 
Um, and and I will say that it, the Jedi Special Edition has two things I actually do like. I like the uh, the Bantha herd that we see out in the desert before Jabba's sail barge kind of appears. I think that's yes, a- agreed. Agreed. I like that. And, and even though I'm not a fan of the montage at the end of seeing all the different planets celebrating, which I don't think makes any sense from a story point of view, um, I do think John Williams' new Q, Victory Celebration, is lovely. I think it's a more beautiful, kind of almost spiritual way to end the, the trilogy um, versus just Ewoks singing. So um, I think the music is great. I think the, the montage is off because I feel like, okay, so the Emperor is dead, Vader's dead, they destroyed a Death Star, the Empire took a big hit. However, for the Empire to really be the Empire, they have to have all kinds of armadas and stations and other generals and governors and things throughout the the galaxy that even though this was a major blow against the Empire, it's not like the the entire Empire is going to collapse, right? There's going to be a power vacuum and other guys are going to take over and Coruscant is not going to flip overnight. Um, So it just seemed a little, again, too cutesy and too too tidy. Mm, I Um, agree. And yeah. I, I get it. I get it as a nice, tidy, like, bow to put on the whole thing. But it just felt, like, unnecessary. And I do think the music was a better choice. But the actual picture we saw with it, maybe not. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I agree. And uh, uh, my, my problem with Jedi was always that, you know, it, it seemed to be tied up in a, in a, in a neat bow, um, y- you know, where the galaxy should be vast. And, you know, these problems would would continue so um yeah i mean in terms of you mentioned the music i mean john whether we're talking about the original trilogy or the prequels um i can never fault anything that john williams has done with these films because the music across all of them is is absolutely fantastic and i even think that with um uh force awakens as well some people have said oh the music's not as good in force awakens but i don't agree i, I think there's some great um you know ray's theme uh, that they've got in that is fantastic uh likewise wise people you know don't like the prequels but the you know the love theme in the prequels and in the uh the, the, the Jedi themes and everything are absolutely fantastic. So uh, well, yeah. I can never fault Mr. Williams. Jewel, no, of the, ever. Jewel of the Fates is a great track. From, Fab- fabulous. From, yeah. 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 I mean, if anything, yeah. you, you know, it's one of the things that's always uh, bolstered these films is the John Williams soundtrack. I mean, Empire was the first soundtrack I ever owned on tape. And I must have listened to that soundtrack a hundred times. But uh, yeah, yeah, no. another another first, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I, think, I think Star Wars or Empire was probably the first soundtrack I ever had as well. So yes, it just adds to that long list of firsts <laughs> that I mentioned <laughs> at the beginning. But yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, my my first soundtrack was um, Jaws. Was so it's still John Williams, but uh, I I remember I didn't know what a soundtrack was before Jaws, and uh, I thought it would just I would just hear the movie and the dialogue, and when it was just the music. It was such a whole new experience. So that naturally, when that Star Wars double LP came out, um, I, I had to have it. And then, of course, um, actually, this is kind of a funny story. So, you know, the first Star Wars soundtrack when it came out in 77 or 78, whenever it came out, uh, was a, a double LP. And then when the Empire Strikes Back soundtrack came out, it was a double LP. But Jedi was a single LP. And I remember being at a convention uh, with producer Howard Kazanjan, and he was doing kind of a, a sneak peek of what was then Revenge of the Jedi. 
and someone asked him, I, you know, is, is the Jedi soundtrack going to be a, another double LP? And he said, no, it's just going to be a single LP. And the whole place started booing and hissing. And, and then his response, and his response to that was, but you can buy two records. And like the, I mean, the place almost just like completely like tore the seats out. It was just like, it was, it was like, that's how much people love Star Wars music when they heard they were getting half of what they were going to previously get. But I think the Jedi score is actually beautiful. I think, and you're right. I agree with both of you. Like everything John Williams does, you can, you can't fault him. I mean, even his lesser scores are better than most people's best scores. So, um, and the Force Awakens score has grown on me. I mean, when I first heard it, I was kind of like, yeah, it might not be up to snuff, but Ray's theme, and there's quite a, f- a few other cues on there. The the Jedi steps at the end, I think, is a beautiful cue. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it's 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 you just have to remember that I think when we were kids, our brains were more, you know, malleable. And when we hear a score or a cue or a tiny little theme, a motif, like Boba Fett's kind of like ba- barely there motif in the Empire score, that registers with our brain like it's a full-blown A-list hero score. And then you hear the same thing today as adults, and we're like, eh, it doesn't really register. Well, that's because our brains are kind of set in their ways. You know, kids probably, yeah. Eat, you know. Yeah, we, we were less cynical as well back then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we used to take, 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 the, take the movies for what they were and sort of necessarily analyze them in the same way that we do nowadays as, as, as fans and filmmakers and, and adults. But uh, yeah, no, I, I, absolutely. Um, but I want to say that, you know, the late seventies and eighties was a golden time for soundtracks because, you know, take, I remember as a kid in the playground, you know, you had a theme tune for everything. So you, if you were Superman, you had Superman or if you were Star Wars, you had the Star Wars theme, you know, imagine kids trying to be, you know, being Superman now with the Man of Steel theme. Try humming that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes. Well, so much so that they're going back to the uh, the Williams queue yeah. uh, in the latest film. But yeah. <laughs> but, um, no, but mm. the, the music definitely can't be faulted. Um, so, Charles, beyond the... Obviously, we've talked about... Well, we've even touched on the... Pre- prequels as well as the original trilogy and the special editions um you, you, you know beyond that how how are your feelings on the you know the star wars movies that we're getting now obviously you haven't seen the latest one yet but but the two that we've had um yeah. you, you know what what what's been your thoughts on those well, I mean, I'm I'm really curious to see uh, where they go. Uh, I think it's um, it's a really bold and dangerous and exciting uh, sort of mission they've they've set out for themselves. Um, I, I'm I'm seeing the Last Jedi uh, a week from today, which as we're recording this, um, so I'm actually really excited uh, to see what Ryan Johnson does because I think he's a very interesting filmmaker, and I, I really do hope that Disney and Lucasfilm continue to explore using independent filmmakers, not necessarily big studio directors that, you know, are used to this type of uh, kind of like big budget, big, 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 you know, type of filmmaking. Um, Because I I think I actually, I tweeted about this uh, a while ago, which was, I wonder what the reaction would have been had the internet existed or a Twitter existed in 1979 or 1981 or 82 when they announced Urban Kirshner as the director of Empire and Richard Marquand as the director of Jedi, people would be probably like saying, huh, who, who are these guys? Because they're not, they weren't A-list 
household name directors. They were very interesting indie or journeyman directors, you know, and, and I think that worked great with Empire and with Jedi, it was a different situation because I think George took more control over Jedi because Empire went a little bit out of control, which frankly, I think why it's a, it's a more interesting movie. But um, I really hope that the powers that be continue to look at um, indie directors from different backgrounds. Uh, I mean, I know that's kind of backfired in a couple other selections um, because, I mean, again, it's just kind of weird that we're seeing these public firings or these directors they mean, are being let go. Um, but I, I don't think that should dissuade them from taking chances because George took a, a, an amazing amount of chances with, with the original trilogy and even the prequels. I mean, he was always taking chances. He was always rolling the dice. He was always doing crazy things. That's why I think Star Wars is so amazing and Indiana Jones and everything else he did um, because he was always trying to do something different and go against what made common conventional sense. And I hope that the new Star Wars films don't fall into that trap of being just Hollywood conventional sense movies that a committee agreed upon and it ticks off all the boxes and gets them all the numbers they're looking for. I hope they take chances. And I feel like they sort of they sort of are taking chances, except when it blows up and then they go for someone safe, like, like Colin Trevorrow on episode nine. That was an interesting choice. It's not one I would have, you know, picked out of a, out of a hat. But, um, but the fact that went to J.J. Abrams seems like, okay, we took a chance and that didn't work for us. Now we're going to go with uh, a known commodity, a, a closer, basically. And I get it. I just hope that that doesn't continue. It's like, I hope they still take chances. Like, that's my big message <laughs> to anyone listening <laughs> that uh, for the for all the ongoing Star Wars films, the, the Lucasfilm 2.0 movies, I feel like um, I, just, I just don't want them to, you know, become boring or ex expected or the usual. And I'm, and I'm really excited about Ryan Johnson doing a, a new trilogy that has nothing to do with the Skywalker family story, you know, and I'm really curious to see what that, what that is and how that develops, because I think that's the, the Star Wars universe is rich with possibilities. And, um, a lot of times you think, well, if they're just going to do like a Han Solo movie or a Rogue One or a, or a Boba Fett movie or whatever, they're going to run out of ideas pretty fast because it's, Star Wars doesn't quite have the, the, the deep bench that say Marvel has like Marvel has so many A, B, C, D list characters that they can throw at stories. Cause Iron Man wasn't an A-list Marvel character, you know, and, and they turned them into a franchise. So I, that's why I think the Ryan Johnson trilogy, it'll be very interesting to see because it might give star Wars a whole new life beyond what we even understand at this point. And that's extremely exciting. Yeah. And what about, um, what have your thoughts been on, on the, I mean, you touched on it very briefly there, but on the anthology movies, I mean, um, you know, do you, do you think those ones are a good idea or do you think they should just go the route of new trilogies rather than these odd anthology type films? You know, I don't know. I think we need to see, we need to see more of this uh, kind of template that they're building. I, I think that uh, Rogue One got a lot of stuff right. And I mean, that whole ending with Vader was some of the most exciting Star Wars I'd seen since Empire, frankly, I mean, that was like, that was the Vader we always wanted to see and we never really did get to see. So um, that was great. And, and I think that the, uh, the sort of the look and the feel and the texture of Rogue One uh, felt authentic and it felt like legit old school Star Wars to me. So I'm, I'm always happy to see that. I mean, I, you know, again, because like we, we said, we're all kind of bitter, old, cynical Star Wars fans. It's like we can, we can nitpick these things till the cows come home. Hmm. But um, 
I, I think that um, I'm trying to look at the positive and everything, and I'm, and that's why I'm really curious to see Last Jedi because now we're going to get to see if the the Ray Finn Poe you know storyline um, is worth following till the end. And of course, yes, we're going to watch all of them. We're going to be their opening day for all of them. There's no doubt about that. But will it rank with the Luke Han and Leia you know group? Uh, we certainly know Luke and Leia are, are more interesting and more compelling than the Anakin Obi Wan Padme uh, situation. But um, I'm curious if if the new guys will uh, will leave us with a trilogy that stands up with the original trilogy. You know, um, it's too. I think it's too early to say, but it's hopeful. I mean, I was really, I was really impressed with Force Awakens in terms of uh, how quickly I became engaged by the characters and how quickly I liked them and that I was interested in them. Um, even Kylo Ren, I thought, you know, was a really compelling, um, you know, kind of a, a hipster whiner villain, you know, but, uh, <laughs> but that's fine because that's what kids are today. It's like these films should reflect, uh, the current generation. And, um, and I, and I was really impressed with how Force Awakens got the characters right. It got the, it got the, kind of like the heart and the tone right really well. I had some issues with the world building and textures and design and again stupid geeky stuff that most people don't care about but um i think rogue one did the opposite rogue one got the world right and maybe the characters could have been better you know so i'm i'm keeping my fingers crossed for last jedi that they bring it all together you know for the first time in the series. yeah mm-hmm. yeah i i seem to remember i don't know whether it was you said or someone else who said but i thought it was a really good point that the only disappointment the only thing they feel robbed is the fact that you're not going to get Han and Luke together on screen again? Uh, was yeah. it you said that, or was it someone else I was speaking to? I can't remember. But but that that's that's um, unless we have some the flashback or anything that that that's going to be unlikely now, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, no, I mean I, I agree. It's like I, I that is a big regret that we're not going to see. You know, I, I assume we're not going to see those two guys together. I don't think Han is. Uh, force sensitive to have a, have a ghost back. But um, I, uh, I think that, um, you know, again, you can Monday morning quarterback these things till the end, and then you can keep thinking that J.J. Abrams should have included, you know, Luke in the final confrontation between Kylo and, and Ray. Like the, the red and the my my visual before even I saw Force Awakens was, you know, Kylo's red blade, Ray's blue blade. And then they're they're kind of at an impasse. They kind of clash. There's like no clear winner. They're gonna you know basically kill each other. And then in the distance between the the kind of the X of the two blades, a green lightsaber lights up. And then Luke is there because he felt in the force something was wrong and he had to come here. And then it's like okay, at least Han is mortally. Let's say Han is mortally wounded. He gets as far as you know Chewie carries him to the Falcon. Um, he doesn't fall off the catwalk. And um, and then at least Han and Luke have a one scene together where they could even do a riff on the the Jedi uh, Jabba's skipped bit with like, uh, or, or Jabba's palace bit with, um, you know, how are we doing? Same as always that bad, huh? I mean, like have a, that little, bit of a, <laughs> you know, um, but maybe flip the lines where the other character says it. But um, yeah, again, that's all like fan wank, you know, that's all kind of like, yeah, uh, we had, we, we want to nitpick the movie. We want to make it seem like, you know, we had a part of it, but I, I think, um, that's my only regret. It's like Han and Luke won't be reunited. And I, and I hope in last year, I hope at least Luke and Leia have a reunion. You know I mean? That's not guaranteed either. We don't know that from anything we've seen in the trailers or anything. So hopefully uh, they have a moment or they have something together. 
And then, by the way, this is going to be devastating because, I mean, the, the death of Carrie Fisher really hurt. I mean, I, I, I don't really get that upset about the passing of celebrities because they're not personal friends, they're not family. But that one hurt because, as, as, as you know, we, we talked about earlier, it's like, you know, Princess Leia was an early crush for a lot of us, you know. And I, and I think that, you know, I, I did have a bit of weird, distant love for Carrie Fisher um, via her, you know, role as Princess Leia, and I and I that really hurts. So it's gonna every time I see her in a trailer, I know when I see this movie, her first scene, I'm gonna be bawling my eyes out, and her last scene, I'm gonna be bawling my eyes out, you know. And I and I hope I can survive this first screening because I know it's gonna hurt. Mm. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. Like I said, first crush, you know. <laughs> uh, but um, no, it, it, it's it's uh, it's gonna be interesting to see where that all goes for sure. And, and I always like that line in um, in Jedi where you know Han and Luke have that exchange about how we doing, a, you know, same as usual. That bad her because you know that that used to really make you realise that you know they they had many adventures between Star Wars and, and Empire as well. You know, and it, it really, you really felt that there was that sort of they had that history and they'd done a load of stuff, which. Um, used to sort of blow my head cannon mind, you know, I used to think, oh, that's, that's, that's awesome. <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah, I mean, Rogue One for me was this time last year was, was just like a, a massive treat. Um, you, you know, I, I'd never been so excited in a, in a climax of a film at a cinema in a long time. And um, I had just the biggest smile on my face for that whole Darth Vader kicks ass. <laughs> scene you know and you're right we'd want been wanting to see that ever since like empire strikes back really you know um so uh so um yeah that that that, that totally worked and um i was very happy <laughs> um are you into any of this uh expanded universe stuff in terms of uh clone wars or rebels or anything thing like that or, or have you not really sort of invested time into all of that stuff as well um i've sampled it um i have not seen every episode of clone wars or, or rebels i've seen a few um and uh like my, my friend steve melchin's one of the was one of the writers on rebels so it's like i felt a, a a need to at least you know see some of his work and like you know support but um i i, I kind of just uh it's not that i don't i'm not interested i just i just have other things i want to spend my time on you know i feel i, I feel like i give star wars a, i've given star wars a huge chunk of my life I feel like I, I can now take some time to myself and we're to work on my own things and, and, and explore other parts of the world, not just Star Wars, not just movies, but life. You know, there's a lot, there's a whole big world out there. And I, and if, if I were to sit and watch every single Star Wars thing, because there's so much, it's like, it's not just the merchandise, it's the content. There's so much stuff being produced that um, we'd never get anything done. You know, so it's like, uh, I'm excited that people love it. I'm, I'm, I'm really happy that there's fans uh, for Rebels. And, and Clone Wars and everything else is yet to come. I'm sure there's going to be a TV series soon and, and probably more animation. Um, and I'll always be curious, like, if they have a concept that I feel really speaks to me, I'll, I'll jump in. Sure. I'll check, I'll, I'll check out everything. And then if it, if it feels like it's um, connecting, um, I'll stick with it. And if not, I'll say, well, that was, you know, it was interesting. I'm glad they took a shot at it. And hopefully it finds an audience. You know, I mean, I'm never, like, I'm never negative. It's like I'm always hoping these things work. Um, I just, I just, 
it, it's a matter of time, frankly. It's like it, it's like when you talk about TV shows in general. We're in like this amazing golden age of television where there's just so many TV shows, and you keep saying, "Yeah, I got to add that to my list," or "I got to add that." You know, I got to I got to binge that. And it's just like we're spending all of our time watching awesome television, but we're not really living our lives. So that's that's my my message of the day. <laughs> it's like just, I, I, I think that's an absolutely <laughs> fabulous sentiment, and I uh, and I agree wholeheartedly with everything you're saying there and you're mirroring my own feelings because because i almost feel that there's too much to keep up with uh which is actually a nice problem to have but right. like you said we, we we've got to get on with our lives in the meantime so uh, a very good point there mm. <laughs> i mean do you guys are you, do you guys follow the, the expanded universe and everything else well, I'm currently watching Rebels. Um, I have like the first three seasons on Blu-ray, and uh, uh, me and my girlfriend we really enjoy it. So, yeah, it's um, it's it's a, it's a it's a very decent show. I when it first came out, it did look very uh, sort of child-friendly. It sort of looked very kiddie, but uh, actually watching it, it's um, it has grown on me. And there's some you know serious st- storylines in there. And it's uh-huh. it's all to do with you know uh, the uh, building of the rebellion. So yes. it's it's sort of those those building blocks. So it's been it's been quite enjoyable. I mean, we don't we sort of uh, space them out a bit just so we can you know we don't watch them all in one. We you know we always have like an episode to watch every weekend, and so uh, but yeah, sort of enjoying it and. Um, I mean, I've seen a lot of Clone Wars uh, when they were on Sky One, and uh, again, there were some good storylines in that. But it was, it was yeah, it's, it was, it was all right. Um, but I mean, back in the nineties, I, you know, I did expanded universe in a big way, comics, books, you know, whole lot of stuff. All of which was, all of which was a waste of time. Now, because they're legends anyway. Yeah. No, I mean, I'm the same. Uh, I'm I'm a big fan of 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 rebels. Actually, I think uh, Dave Filoni, who's the uh, the 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 runner of that, has done an incredibly uh, fantastic job with that that series, and it is um, uh, very very enjoyable. So I'm I'm into rebels. The the Clone Wars, uh, I've not seen much of. I must admit, I did I did see the original. Um, the older animation, hand-drawn cartoon ones that came out. Um, uh, I, I, ha- I had a DVD set with those, and I watched those. Those were pretty good. And then they released the movie to tie in with the series of The Clone Wars theatrically, and that was very kiddified, and I mm. was kind of somewhat disappointed. So I didn't really bother with the rest of the, the Clone Wars, but I've I've heard through other podcasts and whatever that there is actually some really good stuff in there. Uh, and it is, you know, bought by the same people who are doing rebels now. So, um, so maybe again, adding to a long list that seems <laughs> to grow quicker than it shrinks. Um, you know, maybe, maybe I'll get into the clone wars at some point, but, um, but, uh, at the moment it's just been the, 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 the rebels series and obviously the movie, and uh, I have to mention this just because back in the day, uh, I was an 
absolute mega fan of the the radio drama mm. of Star Wars. I still think, uh, directed by John Madden um, and written by Brian Daly, uh, I still think that even by today's standards, they hold up incredibly well. And um, in my head, canon definitely some of the stuff in that is is canon to me, even though you know it's not official canon now because rogue one has changed a few things from it and even back with the special editions uh they they started to to, to move away from what they'd set up with the uh, uh radio dramas for example the, the controversial jabba scene that we've already talked about um in the audio drama it isn't jabba it's one of um uh jabba's henchmen called heater who goes to uh confront Han and Chewbacca at the docking bay. And Heater actually says, listen, um, you know, if you don't pay us, we, we won't just send uh, another Greedo on your tail. Next time we'll hire Boba Fett himself. And again, I always thought that was amazing because it made Boba Fett this, this larger than life, you, you, you know, mysterious character. And I kind of felt that when they did the special edition and he just happened to be there in, in Jabba's posse, it was like, oh, you know, I thought the audio drama actually handled that better. But again, that's just my sad, geeky headcanon stuff. But I have big love for that. <laughs> yeah, I, I loved the radio shows. I thought they were they were great. And um, and I love that they they had to like they, they, they forced you to use your imagination to visualize the scenes that weren't in the movies. You know, you could like sort of take the visual DNA of what you know from the movies, but you had to kind of create and visualize your own you know, worlds for these little side stories and things that appeared in the radio drama. So um, I, I always look forward to them. I would, I would just literally turn off the lights in my bedroom and just like listen to the radio. And, uh, and it was a kind of a magical thing actually. Um, then it kind of kept it alive because back then it was, we weren't quite in like, you know, the home video era. I mean, we did have obviously like some VHS and stuff, but it wasn't quite as prevalent as today. So it was, it was another way of keeping it alive. Absolutely. You know? mm-hmm. And, and, and of course, you know, they had many scenes that weren't in movies, um, you, you know, intertwined within the storyline. And also they had things from other characters' point of view. So, for example, the the bit where the Millennium Falcon is, is, is taken onto the Death Star in, in New Hope, um, you, you, you know, we get that as a reveal with, with Han and Luke and everybody being under the death plates. But... Um, in the in the audio drama, they do it from the viewpoint of the Millennium Falcon passengers. So they're all arguing about what, what they're going to do, and you, you know, trying to get into the deck plates. They're moaning because there's not a lot of room there, and and there's all this anticipation, and you know, they're trying to shut C-3PO up because he, he likes has a fit when they hear there's stormtroopers and all this sort of stuff. And 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 I love that because in my head, I think, well, that's what was going on the bits that we didn't see in the movie you know and uh, it all makes total sense and 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 works so um yeah i need to get a life i know <laughs> <laughs> just just uh, just wait until the, the disney parks you know open the, the galaxy edge you know world you have to go in person and visit star wars and you know go to florida or anaheim and uh and get, you know, get get immersed in it in real life because that's going to be a whole new thing. When I mean, I don't know if you guys are following that at all, like the whole Disney Disneyland and Disney World Star Wars parks, but um, it's pretty amazing what they're what it seems like they're coming up with. 
in that it's, a, it's they're going to be experiences tailored just for you. And it's going to continue on with like the Star Wars hotel that they'll make where it's kind of like you're going to be living almost like a like a role-playing game. It's going to be like David Fincher's The Game, except Star Wars. You know, it's going to be kind of interesting. Yeah, I was in Florida last month, actually. And, uh, you, you know, obviously they've got quite a bit of stuff um, promoting that for when it comes. And, and I just, you know, I, I, it just makes me want to be a kid again i'm like oh no i so want to you know want to be a child and just do this stuff again <laughs> but uh yeah something to look forward to for sure yeah <laughs> i bet it'll be expensive though <laughs> oh, of course and we'll spend the money as we always do indeed well i think that's a good place to end it uh, i do yeah. yes so uh charles uh where can people find out more about yourself and your work uh, well, if you can spell my name correctly, you can just uh, find, you know, <laughs> Google, Google me or whatever. But uh, I mean, I'm on, on Twitter uh, at Lazarica, a um, L A U Z or Z I R I K A, and uh, and you know Instagram and Facebook and all that stuff. And just you know, just I don't know if you if you care about what I do, you can just search it up. It's kind of weird. I always feel bizarre promoting myself on social media when it's like if you care, you can just look me up. But uh, there you go. That's my half-assed uh you've done so much though i mean you, you know you're 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 do any any aspiring filmmakers need to look at your documentaries that you've done on those films you know what i mean so uh pe people should look you up and they should check out your work for sure and we, well, we're really pleased to have had you on as a guest so no, thank I, you, I, I appreciate you guys having me and uh, and if i can just do one little bit of self-promotion um by the time this is on, um, it'll probably already be out, but I, I have a little piece of the new uh, Twin Peaks box set for the new television show, the, the 2017 series. Uh, I have a little half-hour piece that I got and uh, put together um, from the set, which it would turn out to be kind of a lot of fun. So uh, I hope if, you're, uh, if there are any Twin Peaks fans out there to check out the, the new box set that's coming out tomorrow uh, here uh, as we record this. But uh, it yeah. should, be, should be out soon everywhere else. It was yeah. released in... Yeah, it was released in the UK today, actually. It is actually in, oh. in uh, blue DVD and Blu-ray stores today here in the UK. Great. Well, there you and go. And it says, contains over five hours of bonus features. Uh, I haven't well, bought it yet, but uh, tempted. You, have to, you, have get, <laughs> you have to get the Blu-ray because the Blu-ray has, like I think it's eight hours. Uh, it, the Blu-ray has like an hour and a half more than the DVD doesn't have. So make sure you get, my, my stuff is on the Blu-ray, not on the DVD. So be sure you get the Blu-ray. There you go. Fabulous. Thank you. And Keith. That's like, a whole other podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Keith, where can people find your work? Okay, if you go onto YouTube and put in British Isles, spelled E-Y-L-E-S, as in my last name, um, there's some short films there that I've made. Uh, otherwise, if you check out my name on IMDB, you can see other things I've been involved in, or you can get in touch via the podcast. And uh, as always, you can find my work on independentrunnings.com. Uh, you can listen to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, and all good podcast providers. Uh, you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Just search Movie Heaven, Movie Hell. And please leave us a review and rating on iTunes and Stitcher. It all helps. So that just leaves me to uh, thank Charles again for coming on. Thank you. And uh, we hope that you uh, join us for the next episode of Movie Heaven, Movie Hell.